Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Megan Cox Gurdon will join us to discuss the Enchanted Hour. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. But how much more powerful it is now in the age of distraction? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Ms. Megan Cox-Gurdon. Ms. Gurdon is an essayist, book critic, and former foreign correspondent who has been with the Wall Street Journal's Children Book Reviewer ever since 2005. She's the author of the new book, The Enchanted Hour, The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction. And Ms. Gurdon, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grox Science Show. Oh, I'm delighted to be with you. Well, certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book you've written here, The Enchanted Hour, where you talk about really the power of reading aloud. Why did you become interested in this topic and why did you decide to write the book? Well, so I, I'm actually a, something of a fanatic, I have to confess. Um, and I became a sort of fanatical reader aloud pretty much the, when my first child was born uh, 24 years ago. I, I had seen, I'd obviously my parents had read to me I, as, as, as far as I understand, although I don't have any real memories of that. And, uh, and I happened to observe a close friend reading to her very small children, uh, putting it kind of at the center of their family life. And long before I had children, I thought, ooh, if I ever have them, that's what I'm going to do. And so really, uh, my fanaticism really began uh, when I was living in Japan, where, where I think your show is on the air. And, um, and, I, uh, and I, I started reading aloud, and I really felt with my daughter and then with the subsequent four children who came along for a total of five, that something really quite profound was happening. Uh, it would be, you know, sitting together at the end of the day. Often it was a terrible scrum to get there. And then this extraordinary feeling of tranquility and connection would come over us. And uh, around the time that my last daughter was born, 13 years ago, I started writing about children's books for the Wall Street Journal. And, uh, and I therefore had a house absolutely swamped with more books than we had had before. And, um, and, uh, <laughs> and we kept, sorry, I'm moving my train of thought here, but essentially what, what happened is uh, I, I was so deep in this whole world of books and reading and children um, that eventually it dawned on me that perhaps there was, there was in fact something happening um, between us that was more than just a kind of anecdotal pleasure. And uh, my thinking along this line, the desire to kind of inquire more as to what was really going on when we were reading together uh, was intensified when technology ban- began creeping into our lives in a very real way. Um, it is, of course, you know, technology is wonderful. It makes all sorts of things available to us and, and, and enhances life in all kinds of ways. But I was able to see in my family, even a very bookish family, that it was depleting all kinds of things. And um, so this is an incredibly long-winded answer. I'm sorry, but, you know, I guess this is the way of life, right? There are a lot of different influences that come to bear on making a decision. And um, I will tell you that the, the absolute cause of it was that I decided to write about this phenomenon of reading aloud and how I saw technology changing things. 
in the Wall Street Journal in the summer of 2015. And the the article got an extraordinary response. Uh, you know, tens of thousands of people were you know, sending it back and forth. I was getting letters from all over the place. And the really striking thing about it was that every single missive that I saw was positive, warm, nostalgic, hopeful. Like it was a, a kind of viral topic that didn't make people mad. And I thought, okay, there's something here. I need to find out, first of all, what is going on when we read aloud? And secondly, tell people more about it because people are hungry to know. And there, that's how the book came about. Well, anybody who has kids this really gets that experience when they're reading to their children. I mean, how did you go about investigating this? What did you learn in the process? And uh, sort of something surprising that came out of the whole view of what reading does to children and their brains. Yeah, well, here's the thing. It, uh, one, of the, one of the surprises for me was that it's not just for children and their brains. And I'll talk about that in a moment because it's seriously profound. But it's also what it does for uh, for the connections between people. It, it has an, there is an extraordinary kind of knitting together of people when a text is shared out loud. I knew that it was probably doing something good for my children or for other children when they're listening to stories, but I hadn't realized that it was also literally building family connection in an extraordinary way. So let me go back to the children and brains thing, because uh, I think this is, this is really something quite extraordinary. Um, there are, I spent some time out in Cincinnati with researchers who are putting little children through fMRI scanners to look at the different domains of the brain and what kind of becomes, as it were, active under certain stimuli and what is passive under certain stimuli. And the results of what they have found, they've, they've come up with a phrase to describe uh, the different effects, the effects of different stories on young and developing brains. And I will say that the children going through the scanner are generally between three and five years old. There are different studies of different ages, but that's pretty much what we're talking about. So that's, that's on the second half, as it were, of the really tremendous brain growth that begins in infancy, or in fact is already underway when a baby is born. And then you know, there's, a, there's this ex extraordinary rapid growth. And then at age of five, things sort of taper off in terms of the speed of, of growth. What they found was, and they've given a wonderful sort of fairy tale name to the phenomenon of what happens, is the, the Goldilocks effect. And just as in the old story, when Goldilocks goes into the house of the three bears and she picks up the first bowl of porridge and it's too cold. And for, for the researchers in Cincinnati, too cold is just as it were sitting with a child and telling the child a story. It's, it's nice, it's good, but it doesn't get all the different brain networks going for a child. The second bowl of porridge that Goldilocks tastes is uh, too hot. And that, they found in their research, is what happens when children are watching videos, you know, animated entertainment, animated stories, or stories of fast-moving video stories. It's, it's too hot. Their brains are registering an enormous amount of visual input but there isn't any time for the other parts of the brain, the kind of reflective parts, the language analysis, the introspection, that there is just no time for any of that to take place. So, so a story told by itself is too cold. A story seen on video is too hot. And then the third bowl of porridge that uh, Goldilocks samples is just right. And as the researchers have found, what is just right for the young developing brain is a picture book read out loud because, I mean, it's 
fantastic, right? The child has time to gaze at pictures, process what he or she is seeing, is listening at the same time to words that are being said, which is helping to lay the groundwork for language capabilities, is also furthermore uh, in the presence of uh, of a of a you know warm companionable adult physiologically very soothing and so the picture book experience which fanatics like me and maybe you are a bit fanatical on the reading aloud front too you know we're, everything we've suspected is true it really is quite it's it's one of the most uh, beneficial and extraordinary things that any of us can do for the children in our lives but what about the person doing the reading itself i mean how does it affect their brain yeah, well, well, that I don't know that anybody's put mothers and fathers through the scanner yet. I can tell you though that um, that that since antiquity, uh, it has it, they're, they're sort of anecdotally believed that that or, oratory, rhetoric, uh, reciting of poetry is very health giving to the person. And I can also tell you uh, myself that um, you know in my personal experience and in the lives of many people I interviewed, the the experience of, as it were, almost processing a work of art through your own body is immensely uh, rewarding, uh, has a kind of strange, uh, convicting uh, quality to it um, that is, uh, is something kind of transcendent. You know, it's, it's uh, where I may be leaving the realm of science here and going to, to something almost spiritual. It is, it is a remarkable thing to inhabit beautifully written language in that way. Uh, but one thing we have found is, uh, you know, we, it's, it's very tempting to talk about reading aloud as, and to think of it as something that really belongs, you know, to little children and the nursery and the early years and preschool. But in fact, its benefits play out through life. And so to go back to your question about whether reading aloud is beneficial to the reader, you know, we've seen with elderly people that it is actually extremely helpful for I mean, the maybe clinical term for it is cognitive stimulation, but the process of taking the words off the page with your eye, bringing them to life with your voice has been shown in uh, some testing that was done in Japan to help adults, uh, elderly adults regain uh, a certain amount of nimbleness with their, with their thinking. You know, I think this is, this is an area which would be well worth more exploration and, uh, and I mean, I hope, as, as you know, as we as our society ages, there probably will be a great deal more interest in what can be done to help, you know, older brains, not just young developing ones. Did you get the sense that the dedication to reading aloud uh, has diminished or are people trying even harder now in this so-called age of distraction to spend some time and read aloud? You know, it's, it's, I think that's a difficult one to judge. I, we can see from, you know, surveys of young families that it's, the number of children, little children being read to is slightly ticking up. You know, there are a lot of wonderful philanthropists uh, to whom I join myself in the cause, you know, uh, who are trying to get the word out to sort of make it an absolute norm that parents read to their children. Um, but we still see after about the age of six, and in many cases when children are capable of reading to themselves, that it really drops off in a lot of households. Um, in England, which has had sort of historically a more robust read aloud culture. Um, there has actually been rather dismayingly in the last few years, I'm going to say it was the last five years, don't hold me to it, uh, that there has been a drop of, uh, of sort of considerable drop in the number of young children who are being read to every day. And that drop 
corresponds to a, a rise of the equal amount of time in those children who are spending more time on screens. So the age of distraction seems to be consuming uh, lots of lots of young people. Um, you know, the, the distraction part of this is also kind of interesting. And, and you know, I, I mean, we're all, I mentioned technology in the beginning, you know, we're all grappling, right, with how to live with these devices and not let them take over everything. I mean, you know, there's no getting around how wonderful they are in some respects. But they are making it difficult for us to pay attention, right, and to be fully present with the people we love, even when we're actually physically present with them. Um, one of the things that has been seen is that in many families, people, all the members of the family or most members of the family are almost never in the same space at the same time, embarking on the same, certainly embarking on the same kind of task, except in those families, let's say, where you have, you know, a very, a very kind of dedicated mealtime. So reading aloud is actually, I mean, I, I, I posit in the book that it's kind of the cure for what ails us because it is a, a way of developing the attention span for of keeping a connection to long form narrative for children, parents, uh, you know, elderly relatives, um, and, and also building that kind of um, physiologically rewarding together time, as well as a common store of, you know, references and vocabulary words and characters. It, it really is remarkable. If, if people understood how good it was, I, I can't imagine that any family would voluntarily, you know, forswear it. We've sort of gotten used to devices that distract us. How do we switch those off and, and begin to make reading aloud more part of our life? Well, you've, you've actually just given the answer there. And the first thing you do is you switch it off and you just, you, and, and I, you know, I, I, I say this in the book because I, it has to be said, you know, the last thing anybody wants is to be shamed and scolded, right? We want to encourage people to give this a go. Um, and, and the book is called The Enchanted Hour because I think actually an hour is fantastic. Once, for me, it's been about the right time. We've read almost always for an hour, often longer. But, you know, that's asking a lot for people to give an hour of their life for anything. So I say people don't, you know, nobody has to be heroic. You just start small, but start today. Turn off your phone, turn to the person next to you, Pick up a book. It could be a bit of poetry. It could be the newspaper. It could be anything that you've been meaning to read. And by the way, I also think that it's perfectly reasonable to read with your children or read to your children, uh, however old they are, something that they have to do for school. You know, if they're reading a book for school, well, you can, you know, a text can be enjoyed two different ways. It can be enjoyed with the eyes and it can be enjoyed with the ears. Um, as a supplement, you might try reading that. Just give it a go for 10 minutes, but getting the technology out of the picture is extremely important. You know, we know from studies that when parents try to teach their children, and there was a very interesting one that came that, that resulted in the term technoference, um, and that is that uh, when a mother is trying or a father is trying to teach a child a new concept or new word, and the phone rings. It, and the parent turns to the phone, it breaks that connection. And children under those circumstances, you know, it, 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 breaks, the, it breaks the possibility of them, to, of them learning. Um, so again, removing the distractions, even if it's only for a few minutes, like literally put the phone away, 
literally turn it off, put it underneath a pillow or something so you don't hear it if it pings, and then return to this ancient, beautiful, extraordinary, nutritious practice just for a little while. I mean, I think a lot of us benefit from, uh, well, right, it's Jan- well, it's not January anymore, but, you know, in January, that's the month when we all say, right, this year I'm going to do X, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to floss twice a day. I'm going to get my 10,000 steps, whatever it is. Um, you know, February is also a good time to set New Year's resolutions. Just start with 10 minutes a day of reading and see how you go. And I would not be surprised. I mean, I've seen it work in people's lives. You start with 10 minutes a day and pretty soon you're reading for an enchanted hour. Is there an optimal amount of time or any amount of time really is fine? I think any amount of time would be great, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I'll tell you, that, uh, whatever, anybody's idea of an optimal amount of time will definitely vary with the type of book you're reading. Um, I had the experience of reading with my youngest daughter when she was 11. Um, I, re- I read uh, Dracula to her, the original Bram Stoker. And I she had been interested in the idea of vampires. And I said, well, let's just, you know, give it a go. I mean, it's a very, it was published, you know, not in the last century, but in the previous century. And it's, the language is pretty ornate. And I also, it's quite alarming. It's quite a frightening book. And uh, so I expected that her ideal amount of reading of that book would be, you know, 15 minutes the first night and she wouldn't want any more. And it wound up, wound up being one of the great, she tells me it's one of the great experiences of her childhood. She loved the book for her the enchanted ideal hour would have been two or three hours a night she just couldn't get enough of it but i can tell you as the reader i could i was exhausted after an hour of reading that uh depth of of language and uh i had to call it off night after night with the please please more you know coming from her well, it's, it's certainly there are public read-aloud events, certainly things like libraries and a read-aloud day. Are there other sort of events where people can go to and get that communal experience of, of... You know, I think this is something we need to work on more. I mean, it, certainly, I mean, as, as adults, a lot of us, well, and children too, a lot of us are really enjoying audiobooks these days. You know, they've come out of the, they've come out of, of the, the slight kind of shadow of uh, skepticism in which they they were for many decades since, since the seventies, you know, there was always, if you listen to an audio book, it's like cheating or something. It used to be thought. And now of course they've come fully into the mainstream and that's wonderful. And, and in that respect, you know, any of us can listen to someone read aloud and often very extremely talented readers, but for the full kind of the full human experience, it's still something I think we need to, we need to do, we need to develop as a culture or return to as a culture and here, the English are ahead of us, by the way. Um, there is a fantastic organization in England called The Reader. And they, the Reader runs reading groups uh, all over the country, all over the United Kingdom, uh, for uh, elderly people, for people in hospitals, for teenagers, for foster kids. Even they go into prisons. And, uh, and, and there is an extraordinary kind of generative quality to these, um, to these sessions. I was fortunate enough to go uh, to one of the readers' uh, outfits in London, uh, which is attended by Holocaust survivors. And these were wonderful, wonderful people, uh, you know, late in life, uh, who gathered once a week to enjoy high-quality literature and poetry uh, read out loud by a younger facilitator. Uh, and I was able to see, I mean, they were, and they told me just how, how profound an experience it has been, how enlivening it is. 
uh, late in life to have fresh access to great works of literature. Um, and in the case of, you know, many older people can't see very well and it's harder for them to read for pleasure themselves. And, um, so, so I think that, you know, again, you asked about in this country, this is something we need to move toward, I think. And I hope that we will. Um, I, it, it's, uh, its benefits are too important to ignore. I'm just curious if you have some uh, final words regarding The Enchanted Hour. Um, well, I, obviously, I will, actually, the thing I would like to say about The Enchanted Hour is what a beautiful book it is. I hope that you and your listeners will have a chance to have a look. Obviously, as the author, I hope you all scoop up dozens of copies and distribute them widely, but I'm not assuming that. But, you know, it's a beautiful book, and, um, and it does have in it something that I believe people find quite useful, and that is uh, there's extensive lists at the end of suggested books to read aloud, um, partly curated from my own life experience uh, as, a, as a mother and a reader, and partly curated from my life as a Wall Street Journal book critic, a children's book critic. So, it, you know, and, and there are lists of books that are suitable for adults to read together, short stories and novellas and, and the like, which I think that people might find quite helpful. So that's something. Also, if you like the sound of my mellifluous voice, uh, I recorded the audiobook, so you can have me read it aloud to you, if you like. Well, we were just talking with Ms. Megan Cox-Curtin. She is the author of The Enchanted Hour, The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction, available in various formats. And Ms. Gurdon, very pleased to have you today on The Grok Sign Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.